All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's good to have everybody here at our Florence location. Thanks so much for showing up. Can we show some love and welcome our Lawrenceburg Faith Church family? It's good to have you guys in the house as well. And everybody else who's watching online, whoever you are, wherever you're watching from, man, we just want to say we're so glad that you decided to tune in. We hope today that you have an experience with Jesus because we say this every week. Come on, we believe that Jesus, come on, say it. He is the hope of the world, which means whoever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle, your issue, your heartache, or your habit, if you'll allow Jesus to meet you where you are, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Come on, how many people already know that's true? Come on, can we give God some praise for that? Let's go. Well, hey, listen, before we jump into the message today, I just want to just share just a few thoughts to maybe challenge you. Uh, before COVID, man, again, COVID has been just such a trying season for so many families and businesses and cultures, communities, and obviously the church has been no exception. We've tried to navigate it really well. And as you guys know, we were out of the building for months and months, like many churches. And before we left the building uh, back in March of 2020, we were running about 3,000 people. That's about what we had on campus every single week. Come on, everybody, thankful for that. We were recognized five years in a row as one of the fastest growing churches. And so, but obviously, again, it takes time, like many businesses, et cetera, many other things that are kind of getting back to some level of normal. We also are moving that direction. Right now, we're about 1,300 back in the building every week. So we're gaining momentum again. People are coming back because they feel comfortable. We recognize that many of you aren't yet comfortable, and that's okay. That's why we offer the online experience. But here's where we're at. As people are coming back to the building, we have more kids, more guests, more everything else. And so here's my ask, is if you were involved before COVID and now you're coming back to the building, can I just challenge you, ask you, inspire you, don't just come back and sit, but show up and serve? We need people still showing up in our security team to keep us safe, still loving our children and leading them. Our junior hires, our production, our guest services, everything we do needs to be uh, fully staffed. Here's why. Because when people show up, whether it's online or they show up here, we want to make sure they have an amazing experience so we can introduce them to the Jesus that we believe changes lives. And it's not just an opportunity for our guests to experience Jesus. It's your opportunity to bring God glory. It's our opportunity to store up treasure in heaven. So I just want to challenge you. Come on, get off the bench and get in the game. Come on, somebody. And if you're here and you're like, hey, I was never involved. Again, we recognize that there's a starting point for everybody at some point. Uh, I just want to challenge you. Maybe now is your starting point. Again, if you're coming and you're comfortable to be back, we just want to challenge you. Come on, as your pastor, I want to push you into serving because we believe that's what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus is our greatest example. If Jesus came to serve, we, his followers, follow his example to serve as well. And so if you're ready to take that step, all you need to do is you can go to our website, igotofaith.com. Click the Grow You tab. It's an on-demand experience. It'll take you through who we are, who you are, and help you get connected to a place where you can serve. So again, get off the bench, get in the game, whoever you are, wherever you are. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to crowd heaven. Come on, is anybody excited for what God's about to do in this season? Well, hey, listen, we started a brand new series a couple weeks ago entitled Transplants. And the whole idea is that as Christ followers, as we move in our spiritual journey, as we grow, as we develop, there are very specific areas that God deals with in our life. In fact, very specific uh, areas when we talk about anatomically, like there's things that God talks about and he makes these comparisons to our physical life 
to our spiritual life. For example, week one, we talked about heart transplants, that when you come and you have a relationship with Jesus, when you put your faith in Christ, literally God's word says he takes out of us a heart of stone and he puts in us a heart of flesh. God gives us this sense of encounter and a sense of his presence and who he is and knowing him. That's what starts our spiritual journey. Last week, we talked about, and if you had to be here probably to get the whole message, but really how God transplant your bowels, which in the Bible in the first century, it was kind of this idea, the Jewish mindset was that's where your feelings, that's where your emotions and your passions come from. And when you come into an encounter with Jesus, God gives you brand new passions and brand new desires, and God has a way of, come on, pouring in joy and cheer in your life. Come on, is anybody thankful for that? So today, I want to talk about eye transplants. Eye transplants. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, Years ago, in fact, probably about 20 years ago when I was still in youth ministry, myself and a group of my friends decided we were going to get some motorcycles. Come on, vroom, vroom. Like, you know, it was a whole conversation, like, we're going to get some motorcycles and we're going to ride again. We might even have a club name. I don't know. That's a different conversation. Maybe had some leather jackets picked out. I don't know. And so we decided we're going to get some motorcycles and just, you know, have an, have an opportunity to hang out. And so I think there were six or seven of us, of us in that discussion. And so we kind of split from that conversation. And several of them went home and had conversations with their wives. And quickly, the number went from like six to four. Because like some guys went home and said, baby, I'm getting a motorcycle. And the wife said, no, you're not. And they're like, I'm not. And so like we still started talking. And some of the four who said we're still in, those four went and found out that they didn't have the money like their bank account was not as big as their dream. Everybody know what I'm talking about? So they realized they didn't have the money. So it came down to just two of us who were still in the game. One was me, because this is my money, it's my house, baby. I'll spend it how I want to. No, that's not true. She said I could get one. <laughs> but I told my fellas, like, no, you, you ain't telling me if I can't get one. I'm getting a motorcycle. So I decided I was going to get one. In fact, I already went out and got one, got my first motorcycle. It was a Suzuki Katana 600. And so the other person who decided they were still going to get one was Pastor Chris Sherwood, who is our worship pastor. In fact, it's his birthday today. Can we show him some love where he's at? Pastor Chris, we love you. And so I have grown up around motorcycles. In fact, when we were kids, we always had a mini bike and dirt bikes. When I turned 14, started riding a moped. So always have been very comfortable riding those. However, Pastor Chris did not have the same experience that I have. And if you've never ridden a motorcycle, it's a little bit different. And so he decided to test ride a motorcycle before he committed to buy one, which is smart, right? And so we went over to a friend's house, and we all got on motorcycles, and we're in this neighborhood. And the challenge was, we're just going to go around the block, like four right turns, and we're going to come back here. Pastor Chris, very first time on the motorcycle, he nailed four right-hand turns. And next thing you know, we're back, we're like, okay, we're going to step up the game. Now we're going to go around the block the opposite direction, counterclockwise, four left turns. And so we come to the very, <laughs> we come to the very first stop sign and we're ready to turn left. And Pastor Chris, this is an absolutely true story. I wish you could see it because it's hard to believe. Anybody here laugh at people you shouldn't laugh at and you feel bad after you laugh, but you're going to laugh if it happens again. This was funny, but we shouldn't laugh. So he, he puts it in gear, releases the clutch, and he goes to go and he doesn't turn left at all. This is true. He literally goes straight ahead and crashes into a mailbox tips over and he gets off. He's like, I'm done. He wouldn't even pick the bike up and take it back. He's like, I'm done. He never got a motorcycle. Worst part, I was the only one that got a motorcycle that I didn't have anybody to ride with. But you say, how in the world can you drive straight into a mailbox? There's a principle called target fixation. Target fixation. If you've never ridden a motorcycle, when I say ridden, I don't mean sit on the back of one. I mean, actually been in control. You don't really steer with the handlebars. 
you steer with your eyes. In fact, here's a principle I want you to hear today. We're going to dig into it. It's this right here, is that our stare determines our steer. If you want to ride a motorcycle, if you want to learn how to ride one, what you find out very quickly is if you see a truck, you don't, if you want to avoid the truck, stop looking at the truck. You tend to go where you're looking. And so Chris, all he could see is, oh, mailbox. And the next thing he knows, he hit the mailbox. If you want to make an incredibly sharp turn on a motorcycle, you don't turn and then look. You look and the motorcycle naturally turn in your direction. Are you all hearing me? So your stare, our stare determines our steer. Now that principle is much bigger than motorcycles. In fact, what we're going to find out today is that is a life principle. That where you look determines where your life goes. Now, we see this over and over and over again in our lives. In fact, many of us will recognize it as we talk about it, that again, our stare determines our steer. Where we look is determined where our life goes. A lot of us in this room or in Lawrenceburg watching online, we can talk about like, hey, I'm so glad I saw that person for the first time. Like there's people that our lives were changed because we saw somebody. My wife and I, we met. I was a junior in high school. She was a sophomore. We met at a high school dance, first one I ever went to because I was too cool up to that point. And I remember seeing this beautiful angel, at least that's my pickup line, across the crowded dance floor, and there she is. Now, can you imagine? Think about how different my life is. It took a trajectory because I saw that girl when I was a junior in high school. Imagine how different my life would be had I never met her. There's many of you hearing this message that your life has ended up in a place because you saw somebody. Some of you, you saw some good people and ended up in a good place. A lot of you, you have stories like seeing that person was the worst thing that ever happened to you because you saw them and you started dating them and they were bad for you, but you stuck with them and you wasted two months, two years, two decades of your life in this relationship that was a dead end. And you are where you are or you ended up where you ended up because you saw somebody. It's true in social media. Right? We get on social media and, and we're happy with our house, our body, our car until we get on social media and see somebody else's house, someone else's body, someone else's car. Come on. Right? Have you ever been happy with your house and you see somebody else's house and you go back to your house, you're like, how does anybody live in a dump like this? <laughs> well, you were happy with your house until you saw, come on somebody. And, and so social media, the pictures on social media has this ability to inspire us and sometimes to shame us, sometimes to discourage us. Here's another one. How many people have ever gone shopping and you went shopping, you went to Sam's Club, Lowe's, Home Depot, Costco, and you walked in for one thing and you came out with five things? Because you saw this thing and you didn't know that thing was a thing until you got there. And I never saw that thing, but I got to have one or two of those things. And you already had one thing, but now you needed the red thing because you already had the blue thing. Come on. Why? Because all of a sudden your life started a direction because of what you saw. Well, this principle is so big, Jesus talks about it. And so I want us to lean into a parable that Jesus tells, a story, a metaphor, a simile, actually, that Jesus tells. It's found in Luke chapter 11. And here's why I want us to lean into it is because as, as parents and as adults, we understand this principle for kids. There are things that I think all of us, Lawrenceburg Online, Florence, I think all of us would agree, kids, you shouldn't look at that. And for some reason, we think we're exempt when we reach a certain age. And Jesus teaches us this principle that where you stare, you will steer. And it's true for everybody. And he says this in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, you need Jesus. <laughs> this isn't for you. We record these and people watch them later. I'm, not, I'm never talking to you guys. This, if I say something bad, it's to the people who are watching online, not you guys. 
All right, read with me. Watch this. Verse 33, here's what Jesus says. He says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Now, first of all, Jesus invites us into his culture, and it's hard for us to appreciate this because we live in a very well-lit world, right? If you drive downtown, there's stores lit up and signs lit up. If you drive into your subdivision, probably like mine, you have street lights, and you pull up to your house, and you have lights outside of your house. You go into your house, and every room has multiple light sources. So we live in a very well-lit world. But in the time in the first century where Jesus lived, when the sun went down, it got dark. Because there were no store lights, there were no house lights, there was no electricity where people had multiple lights in every room. And so when it got dark, it got dark. And so in order to fight the darkness, families usually could only have one lamp because oil was expensive. And so when they would light the lamp, the light source for their home when the sun went down, they would light it and then they would put it on some elevated place so that lamp would light up the entire room. That makes sense, doesn't it? And Jesus says, nobody's going to cover that light. If you want the light to expel the darkness, you don't cover it up. You make sure it's exposed. And then Jesus says this, watch. He invites us into this comparison. He says this, verse 34, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. Now, just real quick, listen, listen. He says the same way a lamp exposes light into a house, he says your eye exposes light into your life or into your body. And he says this. He says, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Now, here's what he's saying. He's, when he talks about a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye, he's not talking about cataracts or glaucoma or nearsightedness or farsighted. What he's talking about, he's saying when your eyes are unhealthy, he's saying your eyes are exposing your life to darkness. And if you expose your life to darkness, your life is going to take a dark direction. You're going to end up in the wrong place, the wrong relationship, doing the wrong things, making the wrong decisions. But if your eyes are healthy, come on, everybody say healthy. If you've got healthy eyes then your eyes are going to expose your entire life to light. And your life will end up in a very good place, in a very healthy place, in a God-centered place. Now, this principle, again, of where we stare is where we steer, you see it all over the place. In fact, many of us, we're familiar with the story all the way back in the book of Genesis where the fall of man happened, where sin entered into humanity, where our relationship, human relationship with our creator was broken Here's how that story happened. One verse. Watch this. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw, everybody say saw, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, she took it and she ate it. So how did, the, how did sin enter into humanity? How, did, how was our relationship with God broken? It all started with the stare. Here's another one. We know the story of David. King David was this inspirational king. Love God, had a tremendous relationship. God appointed him as the king of the nation of Israel, put him in this place of influence and leadership. However, most of us who are familiar with his story knows that there was a season where he got off the rails. He got absolutely off the rails. Some of your lives are off the rails, and you're like, how did I get here? How did I get here financially? How did my marriage get here? How did my life get here? And the story of David is, ultimately, he gets this woman he's not married to. He sleeps with her, has an adulterous affair, gets her pregnant, kills her husband, and, like, ends up in this moment of spiritual bankruptcy. You know how, his, how he got there? 
Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, watch this. And from the roof, David, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Do you know how he went down that road where he got her pregnant, killed her husband? It all started with the stare. So here's my question. What are you looking at? Are your, lives, are your eyes unhealthy or healthy? What are you looking at? Are you exposing your life to darkness or are you exposing it to light? Because I promise it's not just a, it's not just a, a principle at Costco and it's not just a principle on Instagram. It's a life principle that where you look is where your life will lead. There's another one, a great story of positive side. There's this guy by the name of Abraham, and God promises this old man Abraham, hey, I'm going to bring a nation out of you. I'm going to do this incredible work. Anybody here have a promise from God, and it doesn't feel like God's doing what he said he would do as fast as he said he would do it, and you get discouraged? Abraham was that way. He's like, God, when are you going to show up? And you know what God said? God said, hey, listen, the next time you question my promise that I'm going to multiply and give you a nation out of you, he said, I want you to look up, and I want you to see the stars. He said, the same way that I've numbered, the, he said, the same way you number the stars, he said, I'm going to number your inheritance. And he, he does, every time he gets discouraged, he looked up, he re, comes into another season of discouragement. And God says, hey, listen to me, you know what you need to do to get through your difficult season? You need to decide where you're going to stare. Look down and look at the sands of the seashore. He said, as numbered as those sands are, I'm going to number your inheritance. Come on. You know what God said will get you through a difficult season is where you stare, where you look, because where you stare will determine where you steer. Come on, somebody. I just read uh, an article and... Um, some of you maybe saw this pop up in maybe news feeds in the last couple of weeks, but they just did a study with Gen Z. Gen Z is a generation from young teenagers up to young adults, roughly in there, from like born, if you were born 95 to roughly 2015. And this study came out, and basically, one out of every five Gen Z, I'm sorry, one out of every six Gen Z, said that they do not fit in a typical, typical heterosexual uh, paradigm. One out of every six says they're non-heterosexual, which means they're claiming to be lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual. And you look at that, and here's the reason why that was anomalous to our culture and our society. The reason that was such a shock, regardless of your stance of how you feel about that or don't feel about that, the reason that was such an anomalous thing is because up until Gen Z, only about 3 to 5% of our culture claimed to be non-heterosexual. And now Gen Z comes on the scene, and it goes from 3 to 5% to about 15%. And sociologists are looking at that saying, how did in one generation did it balloon from a culture, from a generation claiming to be LGBTQ? How did we go from 5% to 15%? That's interesting, isn't it? Well, some sociologists said the reason that that you, we see this trending is because that this generation is more open, they're more honest, it's easier to come out if that's what you feel like your lifestyle is. However, there's other sociologists that said this, and this was very interesting, that one of the reasons we're seeing this trend of three to 500% of the youngest generation coming out as LGBTQ is because that's the culture they're looking at. Now, he, now hear me, y'all getting real quiet on me. There was a time, like, you, you never, like, that lifestyle, you just never saw it. I'm mean, not saying nobody, nobody was gay. It's not saying nobody was that way. 
But you didn't see it. Now every show it's on, there's going to be a gay character. Every show there is a lesbian. If you watch it long enough, you'll see a homosexual kiss. And so our, our entire entertainment industry has been so forthright with it, so saturated, that that's what that generation has come up on, so it's very common for them. So here's what sociologists are saying. The reason it's, they're so open isn't because they're really that way. It's because it's not that they're following what entertainment it is. Entertainment's leading them. In fact, listen to this. In the same interview, they asked the same generation, what percentage of your peers are LGBTQ? So they asked that generation, how many of your friends do you think are non-heterosexual? Do you know what the number is? They said 50%. Which means while before Gen Z, only 5% roughly claimed to be LGBTQ, now Gen Z comes on in, in personal interview Again, one out of six, but they believe at 50%, which means they're so saturated in a culture that they are becoming what they behold. Y'all got to hear what I'm telling you. And so I'm just telling you, listen, Jesus steps on the scene. He says, he says, hey, be careful what you look at. Be careful where you're looking. Now, us as a generation, this is, this is so crazy because we don't really see this as true. And Jesus says this principle is absolutely true. In fact, he says this, the verse is not up here, but let me read this, verse 35 and verse 36, he says this, so make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you're filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So when he says make sure, he's saying you can be convinced that you have light and it really be darkness. So here's the question, what are you looking at? What is the direction of your stare? Some of you are, are staring in relational directions. Some of you are staring in entertainment directions. And it's taking your life a certain way. And when you wonder how you got where you are, Jesus would say, I could tell you. If you're in an unhealthy place, it's because it started with an unhealthy eye. And if you want to change the direction of your life, you have to change the direction of your look. And if you'll begin to look healthy, look healthy and allow light and it'll light up your entire life. So if you're taking notes, two things. Here's what Jesus is telling us. Number one, he says, we need to minimize exposure to darkness. Like, you need to be careful what you're looking at. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Like, we're like, yeah, little eyes. Anybody here? So here's what's funny about my generation. My generation, we are the last generation. I'm a Gen Xer. Like, we're the last generation of so many things. Or the first generation. My generation, we're the first generation that had cable TV. No, so for all you spoiled little brats that have had cable TV your whole time and you think there's always been 300 channels, oh, heck no. I came up where we had 358 in channel 43. And if you wanted to watch cartoons, you had to get up Saturday morning. And if you missed them, it's over. You had to wait till next Saturday. Come on, Tom and Jerry is now on HBO Max. <laughs> what? Anybody remember that? So like, but now there's so much stuff on so many channels. It's so easy to be exposed to darkness. And what's crazy is, here's what's crazy, is we look at little kids and we say, you shouldn't watch that. You shouldn't see that. And somehow in our mind, we've convinced ourselves that we can handle it at a certain age. How many of you were ever told, how many of you were ever told as a kid, don't stare at the sun? Don't stare at the sun. Come on, be, be honest. You, had, you were dumb enough someone had to tell you that. You can raise your hand. Lawrenceburg, raise your hand. Come on, let me just tell you. Let me, here's a question. Ready, ready? How old can you be? How old do you have to be to stare at the sun? When, when are you mature enough to look at the sun? Never. 
But somehow we've convinced ourselves that that level of entertainment, that level of smut, that level whatever, that at some point it's okay to look at. Again, I came from the generation where when cable first came out, like they didn't have cable boxes. There was one, <laughs> this is funny. And like, remember, I remember the, like when the TV was off, like it would end at 11 o'clock. If you quit watching TV at 11, dun, 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 dun. like, and that's it, TV till the next morning. And then the snow would happen. And the, the first cable channel that came out, the first pay-per-view channel, like it was snowing. If you would turn like the antennas just right, you could imagine maybe you saw something. Did you see it? I think I, anybody remember that? Now you don't have to imagine. You can actually tune in and watch it. If, if you, not, if you, you weren't, you weren't going to hear any cuss words until after 8 o'clock. Now you hear it anywhere. You wouldn't, you wouldn't see it unless you were paid television. Now you'll see it anywhere. My point is, I, I know I'm, I'm getting down and dirty about entertainment, but come on, let's be honest. As a culture and as a community, we have convinced ourselves that I can watch that and it doesn't affect me. And Jesus says, you're fooling yourself because when you expose your eyes to darkness, your entire life is filled with darkness. I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about pornography. Pornography. All the guys are like, what's that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so if you ever heard me preach, I quote a lot of stats, and you can always look up the stats I have. I don't make them up as I go, most of them. percent. 40%. 40% of pornographic use are church people. So just some stats that line up with what Jesus said. If you have unhealthy eyes, if you allow darkness in, it makes your whole life dark. Some of you might think, well, it was just a click. It was just a glare. It was just a look. It was just no big deal. Here's what statistics tell us. This is a report I read this week, a report I read this week, that if you consume pornography, you are less likely to have an active relationship with God. You are more likely to experience doubt in your relationship with God. You are more likely to divorce, and you are less likely to experience a sex, uh, um, uh, an enjoyable, satisfying sex life. So your click is robbing you of life, robbing your marriage of life, robbing you of spiritual life. It's more than a click. It's a stare, and it's steering your life in an unhealthy direction. Come on, is anybody with me today? So at some point, we just have to ask ourselves the question, like, are my eyes glorifying God? Am I looking in a direction I shouldn't? And so my challenge would be, and this is bigger than entertainment. Come on, this, some of you, some of you your, your pornography is jewelry. Some of you, your pornography is houses. Some of you, your pornography is clothes. It's, come on, can I just be honest with you? I struggle with porn. Just relax. <laughs> I struggle with pastoral porn. Oh, I wish our church was that big. I wish we had that building. Oh, I wish we had that LED screen. Well, all that's doing is, is pulling my life. I'm not grateful for what we have. And I, come on. So all of us, we have some porn addiction. And God says, if you keep turning your eyes in a direction like Adam and Eve, it's going to take you off the rails. Like David, it's going to take you off the rails. But you can have a good stare that takes you with a good steer. And you can be like Abraham and have hope and inspiration. Come on, somebody. So number two, here's what Jesus is really saying. This is really the bigger picture. It's not so much minimizing exposure to darkness. Here's his real main point is you need to maximize your exposure to light. Be intentional to have your life lit with light. 
Now, this conversation that Jesus has on covering a lamp with light, it starts somewhere, and it didn't start there. This conversation, when Jesus gives that illustration, it actually started a few verses earlier. And it says this. Watch this. In verse 29, it says this. Luke eleven twenty nine. 29. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, This evil generation keeps asking me, show me a miraculous sign. But he said, the only sign I'll give them is the sign of Jonah. Now, here's what he was saying. Jesus showed up. Remember, he said, I'm the light of the world. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, what he was saying was this. I've come. There's darkness in this world. You're dark in your understanding of who God is. You're dark in your understanding of who you are. And Jesus said, I've come to pull back the shade and reveal who the Father is. Reveal what sin is. Reveal what grace is. Come on. I've come to reveal what life is. And so Jesus, he showed up and he started showing all of these signs to stamp and co-sign who he was. And it wasn't what Jesus just taught. Jesus did miracles. And the reason Jesus did miracles isn't just because he had compassion on people who were sick. That was one reason. But another reason that Jesus did miracles wasn't just to heal sick people, but to demonstrate to those watching him that he had authority over sickness. Are you all hearing me? So when people watched him, they would say, that's somebody. That's not just an average somebody. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over demons. He has authority over storms. He has the power to multiply food and feed a multitude. Does anybody hear me? So all of these people, specifically at that time, religious leaders, they were awaiting because hundreds of years of prophetic history, the Old Testament, declared that a Messiah would come. Somebody's going to come and fix this broken world. Somebody's going to show up and restore humanity. And Jesus showed up in the religious leaders of that day, regardless of all the signs, all the light that Jesus showed these men, the religious people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees of that day, the pastors of that day, they refused to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Two reasons. One is because Jesus caught out their junk. Jesus caught out their hypocrisy and they didn't like it. And number two is because they wanted a political Messiah to come and boot out the Roman Empire. And Jesus didn't come to change kingdoms on the outside. Jesus came to change kingdoms on the inside. Jesus didn't change the world. Jesus changed hearts. You get enough change hearts, you will change the world. And so they didn't like what Jesus was. But here's the point. Jesus is looking at these people saying, like, you keep asking, just show me another sign. Do another miracle. And what Jesus is basically saying when he gets in, he said, he's saying the same way nobody's going to cover up light with a lid. He said, a lot of you are covering up the light I'm showing you with the lids of your eyes. And you refuse to see me for who I am. In fact, Jesus said this to his own disciples. He said, you have eyes. Can't you see? Come on, some, some of you in this room or some of you in Lawrenceburg are watching this. You've seen God show up. You've seen God break through. You've experienced God's grace. You've seen God provide. You've seen God restore things. And then you get in a season, you're like, I don't, I don't know if God's here for me. Come on, you have eyes, don't you see? It's that you're shutting out the light and it's causing you to be dark. Listen, we need to expose ourselves to the light of Jesus and to the light of his word. Come on, somebody. And when he shows up, come on, right, watch this. One of the reasons Jesus came was to open our eyes. In fact, he said this in the beginning of his ministry. He announced why he was here, and he quoted the Old Testament. He said this in Luke chapter 4. Watch this. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus said, I came to declare to broken, poor people, poor people financially and poor people spiritually, that you don't have to be poor no more. Jesus came to make us rich in his righteousness. Come on, is anybody thankful for that? He sent me to proclaim uh, that the captives will be released. If you're bound up, you're struggling, you're addicted, there is somebody who can break your chains. His name is Jesus. Y'all got to help me today. I'm preaching. He says this. He says, he sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Watch this, that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus told us up front, he said, this is one of the things I'm going to do. Now watch me. He said, I came to open the eyes of the blind, which one of the most prolific miracles, at least that are written in the gospels, is Jesus healing blind eyes. And while Jesus healed physically blind eyes, he came to heal the spiritually blind eyes that we all are naturally born with. And if your eyes are open, if you don't have the lid on, When you see the light of Jesus, if you let it in, it'll start to change how you see things. The difference is 2,000 years ago, someone hung on a cross. And your perspective, the light you have changes what you see. Some people see a man whose life was taken for his personal crimes. People like me, I see a savior whose life was given for my crimes. So that's the difference. And it's because at some point in my spiritual journey, I showed up at church I started allowing my eyes to be exposed to light. I started hearing about Jesus, hearing his word. It started changing how I saw the world. And if you would have met me before I started going to church, before I experienced life change in Jesus, I'd have said this. I'd say, if someone had said, are you a good person? I'd say, yes. I might get pulled over. If you hang out, we might experience some violence together. The police may get involved. But I'm a good person. I didn't tell first services, listen, this, hap- this conversation really happened. Anybody got any things they said before they got saved? You look back and you're like, what did you say? I got time for this. I got to tell it quick. (laughs) So Sean and I, we started dating. I wasn't saved. She was saved. Back in the day, we didn't text. We wrote notes. And so I wrote her this note about this party I'd gone to because that's all I did was party. And so her mom read this note. And I had fooled her, I think, probably thinking I was a good guy. And she found out like I was doing all this stuff that she didn't approve of. And so I'll never forget, I'm actually at a friend's house getting high. Like, I'm in the moment of getting high. Some of you are like, oh, we're talking about getting high. Listen, I'm saved. Jesus changed me. Just chill out. <laughs> Shauna called me. I'll never forget it. She's like, she's crying on the phone. He's like, eh, because she's about to lose me. And so I get it. So anyway, she's like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's like, I got to break up with you. My, mo- my mom read this note you wrote me. And I was like, I'm coming over. This is blindness. I'm laughing, but this is spiritual blindness. I'm standing in her driveway, high. I'm high at the time. And her mom's like, I was like, what's going on? You can't make me break up with your daughter. She's like, listen, I don't want you with my daughter. You're no good for her. She said, she asked this question, and this was my response. She said, is it true you party and you get high? And this this was my answer. What would you say? What would you say? This is what I said. I mean, sometimes, like only on special occasions, like my birthday and Christmas. That seemed like a perfectly rational answer in the moment. Like, I thought she'd be like, well, I mean, if it's only on special occasions, we're good. Come on, that's spiritual darkness. And I look back at my life, and there was a time I said, I'm a good person, and I don't need a God. 
And all of a sudden, I started hearing about Jesus and hearing about his grace. Do you know what happened? My lids were open and the light turned on. And I saw that I wasn't a good person. I was a sinner. And God wasn't nobody. He was somebody who loved me. And a Savior showed up. When your eyes are open, the first thing you'll see is your sin and a Savior. Come on, somebody. We need the light of the gospel to shine on who we are. And it'll change your entire life. My life, the moment I met Jesus, it changed my life. I'm at a different destination because of the light that shone on my life then. What are your eyes looking at? Either you have unhealthy eyes or healthy eyes. Either you're exposing your life to darkness or you're exposing it to light. And some of the reasons, this is a real spiritual battle. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul said. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, it is Satan. Watch this. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. He's saying, he's saying when you wrestle in darkness, he's saying that's a spiritual battle. Come on, is anybody thankful that the light is greater than the darkness? Jesus showed up to turn the light on, not just the light of who he is, so you can have light in the darkness of discouragement, so you can have light in the battle of hopelessness, so you can have light in the season of struggle. Come on, God's light will shine through, and it's greater than any season we ever find ourselves in if we will open our eyes and see the light of Jesus. Some of us don't. You know why? Because we just have a pride of perspective. We just refuse to admit we need help. When I was uh, probably about ninth grade, eighth, ninth grade, somewhere in there, I started having trouble seeing. And I come from a generation, it's funny, when you, when you get some years behind you, just looking at how the world's changed. And so, at least when I was a teenager in high school, if you wore glasses, you were a nerd. Now, if you wear glasses, I'm not saying you're a nerd now, but if we went to high school, you was a nerd. And so, I couldn't see in class. I mean, I would sit in class, and I literally, I just couldn't see the board and I was too proud to wear glasses. And so if you're nearsighted, if you're nearsighted, which means you can see near, but you can't see far away, I, I learned this trick. And so I would, I would put my hand on the deck. And if you stretch your eye, so I would take notes like this in class, which is why I got all these freaking wrinkles on my face now. But it, the pride just refused. I didn't want to get help. Some of you, you're in darkness and you know you're in darkness and you don't know how. Listen, the way you get out of darkness is to ask the light to show up and open your eyes. Now, here's the crazy thing is my life is full circle. Here I am, I'll be 50 years old this year. And for the last couple years, reading has gotten kind of hard. And I refuse to wear reader glasses because that's for old people. <laughs> and I'm not old. So now when I go to look at something, I don't read it anymore. I'm like, Zach, what does that say? <laughs> read that for me. It's crazy. Like I just, I'm too proud. So a few weeks ago, Shauna comes up. She's like, babe, I got you something. And I'm like, what'd you get me? And she hands me reader glasses. So I'm looking at him. She's like, do you like them? And I'm like, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I thought it was something else. But here's what's crazy. I put these things on. I'm like, Come on, y'all. Can I, can I rock them? So I, this is true. I put them on. I'm like, man, these things work pretty good. But here's my struggle. Are you ready? Here's my real struggle. It's not that I have to wear them every now and then. If you're going to wear them, you have to wear them. I don't read just once a day. I read all the time, which means I have to have them with me all the time, which is why some people who have readers, right, they got those little clips, little metal clips on your pocket, or you wear the things around your, because you need them all the time, and you look like a nerd. 
No, don't take it wrong. I'm going to join your club pretty soon. <laughs> but listen to what I'm telling you. My point is you can't, you can't have these with you on Sunday. You got to have them with you all the time. And some of you, you get the light on Sunday, and then you're in darkness Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You need light at the workplace. You need light at home. You need light raising kids. You need light in your marriage. You need light on campus. You need light all the time. In order to have light, you got to humble yourself and say you need light. God, help me to raise my lids and see the light. Your stare determines your steer. And the reason some of you are in the ditch is because you are covered in darkness. And what's going to turn your life around is if you'll change where you're looking. My job as your pastor is to be your spiritual optometrist. That's what my job is every Sunday. Paul said it this way. This is my job as, as well. He said this. He said, this is God, what God told the apostle. I said, yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. I love to make you laugh. I love to celebrate. I love to have fun. But my job, my assignment by the Holy Spirit every Sunday is when you walk in in darkness, whatever season you're in, is that the light of the gospel of Christ will show up, will enlighten your darkness, will give you a new path, a new direction, a new destination that only God can give. But you can only have it if you want it. And once you get it, you got to keep getting it. You got to keep looking. Read your Bible. That's where light comes from. Determine you're going to show up in church. That's where light comes from. Quit staying at home. Listen, this world has turned upside down. I get it, but now it's time to come back to church. Get back in church. That's where light comes from. The more light you have, the more light you get, the more light you're going to have in your life and the better place you're going to end up. So one more scripture. I want you to write it down if you could. Circle it, put it in your phone, read it sometimes this week because you become what you behold. And here's our goal, here's our journey as Christ followers. Listen to what Paul said. Paul says, so all of us who have had the veil removed, which means when you come to Jesus, you're no longer in darkness. Now you know who Jesus is. Now you know you're a sinner. You know Jesus is your Savior. When you make that step, he says this, now you can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image, which he's saying this, the more, the more you get exposed to the light, the more you become light. That's why Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he told his disciples, you're the light of the world. Because we, if, we, if we behold Jesus, we become like Jesus. The more we look at him, the more we're like him. That's what spiritually growing up is. So how many of us in this room watching online, Lawrenceburg, would be honest enough to say, you need an eye transplant? How many of you would be committed for the next week? You ready? How many people would be committed for the next week? the next week to make sure your eyes are honoring God, which means you might have to click it off. You might have to turn it off. I'm just a week. There's some of you who are hooked in conversations and relationships and your marriage is in a bad place. Turn it off for just a week and get more light. Start leaning into God's word. How many people we committed for just one week? God, one week, I'm going to honor you with my eyes. You're going to be shocked what happens. You ready? Father, we love you. God, we come in Jesus' name. We all stand to your feet. I just want to pray for you. Father, God, we are a lot of us walking in darkness. Lord, some of us, we didn't mean to get here. Some of us, we don't know how to get out of the season we're in. I pray over you in Jesus' name that God will deliver you from the season of darkness. Your season of discouragement, your season of frustration, your season of anxiety. I pray in Jesus' name. Some of you can't see. It feels like God has abandoned you. I pray the season of darkness you're in would dissipate. 
I pray the light of Jesus would shine on you, would shine on your home, shine on your marriage, shine on the season you're in. And so, Lord, for the next week, we just commit to honor you with our eyes. Set us in a new direction of our entire life being filled with your light. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Come on, can we give God glory and honor?